Well, yeah, we're closing out Romans 12 uh, this afternoon. We've been in there for six weeks, I think, just journeying through. And we've been reminded each week as we've gathered of the reality of the world that we live in. And it's a world that is broken. It's a world that at times feels dark. It's a world that at times, as individuals, we feel evil being pushed uh, against us. But we've been reminded of the hope that the church of Jesus Christ, we, we don't need to be defined by the evil of the world. We don't need to be defined by the darkness that we contend with and we experience each week. We've been reminded that there is a better way for us to live. As we've worked our way through, particularly verses 9 all the way through to verse 21, we've been reminded that God's people, those who've been born again, we live in view of God's mercy. Remember that back in, in chapter 12, verse 1? That we live in, in light of the reality of who God is of his perfect and good character. We live in light in view of, of who he has made his people to be, people who each day are being conformed more and more into the beautiful image of his son. We've been reminded of what he's done for us in and through the Lord Jesus Christ, and, and we are reminded to live in view of that. And we've been reminded as we look down at verse 21, this kind of foundational verse for this part of Romans chapter 12, we've been reminded that as we live lives in view of God's mercy, we are able to overcome evil with good. As we look out of the world, and we have seen even this week, the corruption and the evil and the wickedness, corporately and on the, on the macro scale across the world, but also individually in our own lives, as we contend with the evil of the world, we have a hope that, that God's people are able to live in such a way that sees that evil being overcome. And not just being neutralised, the word overcome there means more like, like conquered. We can see evil being conquered and we've seen over the last few weeks specific ways in verses 9 through to 20 where we're going to finish today. Specific ways in which God's people can see evil being overcome. If you remember four weeks ago we started with, with seeing that the, the first step is that we, we overcome evil with genuine love. And then we saw that we overcome evil with genuine generosity and then we overcome evil with genuine humility last week and this week we close out the chapter seeing that we overcome evil with genuine peace god's people will see the evil the darkness around them being overcome as we live lives in view of god's mercy that are full of his peace so let's see verse 17 through to verse 20. God's word says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. And then the foundational verse for all this section again, verse 21. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let me just pray for us again. Father, we thank you for your word. Oh, what a privilege it is to gather around it, to be built up by it. Father, we thank you that as your word and your spirit minister amongst us this afternoon, that you will change us. Father, I pray that part of that change might be 
that you would bring the gift of salvation to those who don't believe, that you would move them from unbelief to belief. And for your people, we pray that you would build us up. Help us to believe that your word, these words, the, the words of your son to us this afternoon, they are living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. Help us to hear these words as words which stand out brighter than any other words that we can hear in this world. Wiser, stronger, words that we can truly build our lives and help us to believe and help us to respond with obedience. Holy Spirit, we need your help. So fill us, help us, we pray, for the glory of the Son. And it's in his name that we ask. Amen. Well, this last part of chapter 12 here, verses 17 to 20, bring us to what I suspect for some of us might be one of the hardest aspects of the Christian life, but also maybe the most powerful and redemptive. To respond to evil with peace. Responding to evil with peace. See, every time, and all of us know what this feels like, every time we are confronted with, with evil, when someone moves towards us in a way that is in, unjust, when people sin against us, when people hurt us, when people harm us, every time that happens to us, every time we are confronted with those things, we are... We are presented with with a choice. We either respond with wrath, and when we talk about wrath, we're talking about, about anger spilling out of us, or we respond with peace. And it doesn't matter what type of harm that is that's done to you. It could be on the devastating scale of, of abuse, or it could be that someone just looks at you and sneers at you and you know turns their nose up at you, wherever you land on the spectrum of being harmed and being on the receiving end of someone else's evil, we have a choice to make. Either we respond to that person with wrath, spilling over with anger, or we respond with peace. And it's a little bit like, you know, when you come to a fork in the road, there's one road and you you reach a, a fork, you either go left or you go right. That's what happens. When you are confronted with evil, we have that decision. There's a road here that, that is the road of us, us responding with wrath. And that road, the Bible would say, when Jesus talks about the Christian life, he would say that that road is wide. That is the natural response. When we are harmed, when we are hurt, when someone engages with us in an evil and wicked way, our natural response is to take the wide path. You've heard Jesus talk about that? And that path is easy. That is the path that most people will take. But then... But then there is another path. There is a path of peace. And Jesus, in contrast, would say that that path is narrow. And it's hard. And not many people will choose that path. But I want to tell us this afternoon, when we choose this wide path of responding with wrath, the destination is just more evil. It's more of the ugliness of evil that we've received when we respond with wrath. Whereas when we take the narrow path and choose the way of peace, the destination is always better. The destination is that we get to see what verse 21 promises. We get to see evil overcome with good. And that narrow path, the path 
of peace, the path that is hard, the path that not many people will choose to take. That is the path that the church will take. That is the path that God's people will choose when we are confronted with evil. And I know that that path is hard. Folks, I know some of the abuses and some of the evils that have been done to some of you in this room. And I know how horrific they are. But I want to just give you some comfort. When you choose this path of peace, it isn't a call to abandon wrath altogether. When, when Jesus says choose the narrow path, in particular with, with, with this aspect of the Christian life, when wrongs are done towards us, he isn't saying, okay, brush the wrongs that have been done to you under the carpet. Just forget that they were ever done. Just ignore them and walk down this narrow path. That isn't what he says. Actually, the heart of our passage in verse 17 to verse 20 is this. The Christian pursues peace with others and they hand wrath over to God. We pursue peace with others, but we hand wrath over to God. We don't abandon wrath. We don't forget about the harm that has been done to us. We pursue peace. Peace. We take the narrow path and we hand over our hurts and our wrongs and our craving and our need to seek justice. We hand that over to God. And in these verses, verses 17 to 20, we get six commands. Three of the commands are do's. We'll see them come up on the screen here. And those do's revolve around this narrow path of pursuing peace with others. And we'll come to those in a minute. But firstly, we get three don'ts. And these three don'ts, if you look at verse 19, these three don'ts revolve around the central command in verse 19, not to avenge ourselves, but to leave the wrath to God. Three don'ts, here they are. The first one in verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, or we could say it like this, don't retaliate. Our first reaction when someone does evil to us, it is to think, okay, how am I going to pay this person back? God's word says don't. Don't retaliate. Secondly, verse 18, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Or we could say it like this, don't control. This verse here is saying, don't, don't try and do what God has promised to do. He is going to deal with the wrongs. He is going to administer wrath. He is going to do what is required with the wrongs that have been done towards you. So don't try and extend your control in trying to sort the situation yourself. As far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. So don't control. And thirdly, verse 19, never avenge yourselves. Or we could say, don't revenge. Don't seek revenge from the big wrongs that are done towards you to the small just raising of the eyebrow towards you whatever provokes you towards anger don't seek revenge don't retaliate don't control don't seek revenge and folks as we read that and I know some of you are thinking of some of the wrongs that have been done towards you like as we read those commands don't retaliate don't control don't revenge it sounds a little bit passive But if we understand rightly what happens when we leave wrath to God, we'll understand that pursuing peace with others and handing over wrath to God is always a better way to live. And actually, it's a more freeing way to live. See, God's wrath, folks, is not like our wrath. The way that he administers anger is not like we would administer anger. Paul, who writes this letter, talks about the wrath of God, not not our wrath. 
And so I want us just to quickly, before we move on, just, just see three aspects of God's wrath, which will really help us to more readily and more quickly hand it over to him, hand over our sense of wanting to seek justice ourselves, handing it over to God and letting him deal with the wrath. So firstly, God's wrath, God's wrath is provoked. So like all of us, when we think of an angry person, like, well, just do that for a moment. Just think of someone who you know who is angry. And someone who is, like, all the time angry. You know what I mean? Like, it might be you sitting there. Maybe the person next to you is thinking, it's you. We all know someone, or maybe it's, it is us. And, and that person who is constantly just, like, you know, just, like, one comment away from exploding. And when we're around that person, like, how do we act? Like, we just, we stay away from them a little bit. Like, we don't want to nudge them over the edge. We don't. You know, we don't want to be the straw that breaks the camel's back and we feel like we're treading on eggshells around that person because they're constantly on edge. They're constantly just ready to blow a lid. Well, well that, isn't, that isn't how God engages with his anger. God's wrath is provoked. His anger is a response to evil. It's not his nature, right? So, so love is God's nature. That is who he is. When we talk about God, we can say God is love. It's who he is. But we cannot say God is anger because that's not his nature. He is not naturally someone like when we think of God, don't think of this, this God in the sky with, with just throwing thunderbolts and he's always on edge, just ready to pour out his wrath because he's constantly angry. That isn't God. He's constantly love. And we don't need to provoke his love, do we? He loves us because he loves us. It flows from his nature. Whereas his wrath, his anger is different. He is not anger. His anger is a response. A response to evil that has done before him. He isn't someone who is constantly angry. But out of perfect love, he will respond to sin, injustice, and with anger when provoked. So firstly, God's wrath is provoked. Secondly, God's wrath is measured. Like that person you've got in your mind, just picture what they look like when they're angry. Like the physical aspects of that angry person. Um, so I do a lot of cycling. So naturally, I get confronted with angry people quite a lot. I don't know what it is, but um, like some drivers, like just the sight of a cyclist just makes them angry. And uh, I was out with a group ride a few weeks ago. And I was riding side by side with another guy who was riding out front, which, by the way, is the highway code. And uh, I was on the right next to traffic. He was on the inside near the pavement. And a car came so close next to me, like just flew past us. Like I could have touched it if I put my hand out. Anyway, most of you know my nature. I'll just let it slip and let the guy drive on. This guy wasn't going to let it go. The guy was cycling. So he shouts out after the car, Oi! Anyway, the car slams on his brakes wait for us to catch up as we catch up with this car there's the guy in the driving seat probably around my age look pretty rough and then next to him is his mum or his grandmum i don't know like she's sitting there in the seat and then i'm next to her on the bike and then there's this other angry cyclist next to me so there's the four of us in the line he starts moving we start cycling and these two start going at each other and me and mum are like just kind of coasting along not want to engage in any of it. But as they both get angry, like you can see, you can see in someone's face, can't you? 
Like they get red in the face and they start to, you know, they tighten up and they, they say things that they probably shouldn't say. Their eyes start bulging out and, and there's a, just a real physical aspect to their anger. And maybe you're not, maybe you're not the road rager or the, the angry cyclist. But I think we all find ourselves there sometimes. Probably more likely in this room because you're all respectful drivers and cyclists, I know you are. Probably more likely is you're a disgruntled employee or you know, you're a frustrated husband or a tired wife and those things lead to you being angry and lead to you getting red in the face and lead to you getting sweaty palms and lead to you probably saying things that you should not say. That is not God. You know, one of the characteristics that the Bible says about God continually is that he is slow to anger. Like when we're wound up, when our spouse, you know, just forgets to do that thing again, or whether our boss is like, they're out of order again, and they're they're not listening to us. Like when that happens to us, like in an instant, like we can just flip and we're unhinged and everything is on show. And even if maybe like me, you're not someone who shows it externally, it's still going on in here. Like even if the ugliness isn't seen in your face and in your eyes and in your hands and in what you say, the ugliness is still in your heart and still in your head, in your thoughts and in your motives. That is not true with God. He is slow to anger. Actually, we read that most frequently in the Old Testament. It's one of the characteristics that Israel would see as they looked at God. Our God is slow to anger. And in the original text in the Hebrew... That phrase, slow to anger, it's fascinating. It's actually, it's a bit of a metaphor. And if you translate it literally, it means this. God is long of nostrils. (laughs) It's a bit of a strange picture. But what it's shown us is this. Like so often when we are confronted with evil, when we are confronted with wrongs, when, when people sin against us, in an instant we react. And the picture of, of God having long nostrils, right? is that his anger is controlled. Like, there is time. You know, that caricature of just steam coming out of our ears and out of our nose. Like, when God is provoked to anger, which he is, rightly, like, he doesn't just, he doesn't just react straight away. Like, how he responds, it is, it is thought through. There's something in psychology called, called the anger iceberg. Anyone ever heard of it? No, maybe we would all be less angry people if we knew what the anger iceberg is. The anger iceberg. Well, if you think of an iceberg, you you see the iceberg, right? But actually, we don't see the iceberg. What we see is is the top 10% of the iceberg. 90% of the iceberg is actually under the sea. And what these psychologists would say is actually, when, when someone engages in anger, we don't see the full picture. There is a lot going on beneath the surface. God sees the full picture. When he sees someone engage angrily with us, he knows what's going on beneath the skin. We don't. He knows their shame. He knows the guilt that they're carrying. He knows the long day that they've had and the way that they've been wound up and wound up and wound up. We don't see that. He knows the exhaustion that they carry. He knows their pain. He knows the rejection. He knows the betrayal. God knows, he sees the full picture. And it's not that he doesn't engage with sin, he does, but he does it in a measured way. 
in a way which, which he's able to take in the full view of the person who that wrath is coming towards. God's wrath is provoked. God's wrath is measured. And God's wrath is just. In this lovely letter, the letter to the Romans that Paul writes, we're told that, that God pours his wrath out. He deals with sin. And sometimes he does that immediately. But more often than not, especially in our age, God's wrath is stored up. It's stored up to a future day of judgment. But in either case, if God judges sin and wrong immediately or he stores up his wrath, in either case, no sin will be judged unfairly by God. All sin will be judged. If you look at verse 19, God says, I will repay and that is a comfort and promise for God's people. When you have been wronged, when you've been harmed and you just don't see justice, God promises, no, don't worry, I will repay. No sin will be overlooked and no sin will be overjudged and no sin will be underjudged by God. He will judge sin perfectly. And none of us have pure enough motives to do that. Like we make terrible judges, humans, sorry, Steve, Steve is a magistrate. Humans make terrible judges. Like Steve would even tell you, judges sometimes make mistakes. Not Steve. Steve always gets it right. <laughs> but we do. How many times, folks, when we think about people who have wronged us, who have, who have just unleashed their anger towards us, how many times when we've responded to them have we had to come back later and say, I'm sorry, I overstepped them? I shouldn't have spoken to you like that. Or, or on the flip side, how many times have we seen things and we've just decided to ignore it? We've not stepped in. God's wrath is just. He judges every sin perfectly. He will judge every wrong, either in hell for those who don't repent or graciously at the cross for those who do. God's wrath is perfectly provoked, perfectly measured, and perfectly just. So Christian, when you are wronged, when evil is done against you, don't, don't think, oh, I just need to sweep this under the rug. And don't, don't retaliate, don't control, don't seek revenge. Leave it to the wrath of God. And in the second part of the passage we get these three don'ts that help us to leave the wrath with God. And then we get these three do's that help us pursue peace with others. Verse 17, do what is honourable. Verse 18, do live peaceably. Verse 20, do, I'll describe it like this, display spectacular grace. It is a narrow path to engage in those ways with people who have wronged us, to be honourable, to be peaceful, to be gracious. It is a narrow path. It is hard, but it is a way, remember, that leads to overcoming evil with good. It is always the better way. So firstly, verse 17, do what is honourable, or as Paul writes it, give thought to what is honourable in the sight of all. So when someone wrongs us and hurts us, our, our natural instinct is to respond with a similar level of ugliness. Like when we choose that wide path, when someone raises their voice at me, do you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to raise my voice at them. When someone calls me out, I'm going to call, you did this, well you did that. And I'm going to raise my game and respond with a similar level of ugliness. 
If you bang a door, I'm going to bang a door. If you lose your temper, I'm going to lose my temper. You can throw as many insults at me as you want because I'll throw as many back. The narrow path is a way that looks like this. To give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. And actually, this is... When we read it literally, it just adds another layer. It's literally to be read like this. Give thought to consider what is beautiful in the sight of all. Slow down and think. When that person is engaging in that way which is wicked and evil and sinful and hurtful, slow down and consider What is going to look beautiful in this moment? In the face of evil, like to respond like that, to respond with beauty, like like who does that sound like? It's Jesus. And haven't we seen that all the way through Romans 12? Like as Paul calls us to something, he's not calling us to something where we're not able to look to Christ and see that he has already done that for us. To do what is honourable when evil is being done towards us. To respond and to consider what looks beautiful in this moment is to, is to look to the example of Christ. To see it in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. To see that he so powerfully responds to the ugliness of sin. Constantly with beauty. Or more accurately, he constantly responds to the ugliness of my sin. And your sin with spectacular beauty. We see at the cross, don't we, just that collision of the depravity of our sin and the beauty of God's mercy and his kindness, his patience, his gentleness, his love, his forgiveness. If you want to respond to the ugliness of sin that is done against you, if you want to respond with beauty, then keep the cross of Jesus in view and you won't go far wrong. Do what is honourable. Secondly, do live peaceably with all, verse 18. Seek harmony. If there is a barrier to peace between you and another person, do all that you can to remove it. And peace is a distinctive mark of the Christian, isn't it? Like you read all the way through, particularly the New Testament, we are called to seek peace, to pursue it, to establish it, to live with peace amongst God's people primarily and those around us. Live peaceably with all. But actually more accurately, what we read is, if possible, live peaceably with all. Which means that sometimes, no matter how hard you try, it won't be possible. Like it wouldn't say that if that wasn't the case. If possible, live peaceably with all. Sometimes we will try really hard when someone has wronged us really hard to, to, to display those beautiful characteristics of Christ to them. To seek to reconcile, to seek to, to show them love, to seek to show them grace as we'll see in a minute. To seek to show those beautiful aspects and they just don't want to hear it. Like they just don't want to give in. They don't want to reconcile. Like they're quite happy hating you. They're quite happy just stewing in their anger. And God's word to us says when that happens, it's not on you. So far as it depends on you, seek 
peace. And in the same way as living honorably, that is a reflection of the cross. You see, Jesus at the cross, he didn't make peace with everyone. Maybe the most famous verse in the New Testament, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. We are naturally hostile to God. But peace is secured by God with him at the cross for all who believe. Not for all full stop. And Jesus freely offers eternal peace to all. But he doesn't manipulate us into receiving it. He doesn't coerce us into receiving it. We come to him by faith. So live peaceably with all. Do all that you can to remove hostility between you and those around you. But keep the cross in view. And friends, be freed from the weight of needing to to be at peace with everyone. And lastly... Do display spectacular grace. Let me read verse 22 as again. To the contrary, instead of seeking vengeance, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. What is that about? Well, we'll find out in a minute. Verse 20 there is a quote from Proverbs 25, verses 21 to 22. And if we were to separate it out into two... You know, to, to feed your enemy, to give them a drink if they're thirsty is the first part. Like, I think, I think we probably get that. I think we understand what, what God's word is saying to us, right? Like, that is the practical nuts and bolts of choosing good over evil. Like, even though it's hard, we get it. We get, instead of seeking revenge, bless your enemies. And as hard as it sounds and as hard as that will be, if we are gospel people, we know that that is the right thing to do, right? Like to bless your enemies is the foundation of the Christian life. We know that that is the way that we are to live. We know it is a narrow path, but it is always a better way to live. And if we are struggling with that, when we're thinking of the people who have wronged us, when we're thinking of the people who sinned against us, when we think of the people who have hurt us and we read this verse and we want to be people who are obedient to God's word, don't we? And we see this call to bless them. To, to, eat, you know, to, to feed them and to, to, to administer to their needs when we feel just the hardness of, of doing that and engaging in those ways, again, just keep the cross in view. Remember how Jesus dealt with his enemies. Or more precisely, remember how Jesus dealt with you. Dealt with me. Romans chapter 5, verse 7. Just flick it up for us, Karis. Paul writes this. One will scarcely die for a righteous person. Like perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. So Paul's saying, listen, like, like it's unlikely we're going to lay our lives down for someone. That's unlikely. It's unlikely we're going to sacrifice ourselves for someone. But, but maybe, maybe if there was someone who was really good, maybe if there was someone who was you know, morally right, maybe if someone had, had lived a life and shown, do you know what? They, they deserve it. Maybe we might, we might lay our lives down for them. But God shows his love. God shows his love for us. In the while we were still sinners, 
Christ died for us. And he goes on to just expand what that means. You know, being sinner isn't just the, isn't just something, you know, just actions that we do. Being a sinner, Paul says, it means that we are an enemy of God. It means that we choose to have our backs to him. It means that we choose to reject him. It means that we are hostile towards him. It means that we, we hate his will and we hate his ways. But God shows his love for us in that while we were those people, the father sends his son and his son dies for us. And folks, we are never going to have to die for the sins of someone else. But walking that narrow path with the cross in view will lead us to a place where we will engage with spectacular grace towards our enemies. We will seek to meet the needs of those who've wronged us. And it might be, as Paul suggests, it might be that we feed them if they're hungry or give them a drink if they're thirsty. I don't know, it's probably unlikely for us. More likely for us, it's going to be, I don't know, taking the bins out for your neighbour or giving someone a lift or helping someone financially if they're struggling. Even though they've harmed you, even though they sought to do you evil. Or maybe it's just giving them a kind word when they're in a place of sorrow and grief. Or maybe it's writing to them and saying, I love you. And I'm praying for you. And I care for you. And in a world of evil, friends, that will go a long way in overcoming evil with good. Now that's the first part of verse 20. But what has that kind of spectacular grace got to do with putting hot coals on our head? <laughs> it's a bit of a strange one, isn't it? If your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, I think a lot of times when we read that, we think, okay, I get it. If I'm kind towards this person, even though they don't deserve it, that's what grace is, Right? unmerited favour, if I'm kind towards this person, if I seek their good, even though they've done evil towards me, like if I am so spectacular in the grace that I I engage with before them, it's going to make them kind of shrivel and feel so small and it's going to make them embarrassed and it's going to heap shame and guilt on them because they're going to realise how they've wronged me and it'll be like putting burning coals on their head. That that isn't the picture at all. Remember, we're, we're pursuing peace here, yeah? That's the narrow path. We're not trying to seek to put guilt and shame on them. Actually, this is probably a reference to an ancient Egyptian cultural practice where, where if you'd done someone wrong, if I'd, if I'd uh, sinned against you, if I'd hurt you and harmed you in some way, and I'd come to my senses that I'd hurt you, what I would do is I would come out in a public space, I would move towards you, and in a public act of repentance... And and an act of reconciliation, I would come out and who knows why, but this is what they did. I would come out with a bowl of hot coals on my head. And it was just a physical representation to to show that that I'm sorry. And I want to reconcile. And I want your forgiveness. Here's the hope in verse 20. In displaying spectacular grace to those around us. The hope is that we would win them over. 
that they would be genuinely repentant of the hurt they've called us. They would seek peace. And in so doing, that evil would be overcome with good. So as I wrap up, let me ask you. What evil have you suffered? What harm that has been done to you? What sin that has been done to you are you holding on to? That you need to take hand over to God and leave it to his wrath where is it that you need to trust that his way is better he knows okay he knows infinitely better than us how to administer justice And then what could you do to show spectacular grace towards that person who has hurt you? What could you do that instead of being the default ugliness that our world responds with, what could you do that shows just the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the grace that we have received towards that person who has harmed you? Thanks, Mike. And here's the heavy one. Will you do it? Will you do it? Will you let it go and give it to God? And will you show that spectacular grace to him? Will you put away the desire for retaliation and instead seek the joy seeing evil overcome with good don't retaliate don't control don't revenge leave it to the wrath of God do what is honourable do live peaceably and do seek to display spectacular grace and folks this kind of life is only possible in Christ each time we seek to not do those things and do those things we, we are doing it in view of God's mercy it is a cross shape life and that's where we're going to turn now we get to respond to the grace that has been shown to us at the cross and the power that we receive to walk as those transformed and filled with the spirit of god in a moment we're going to sing and as we sing together we're going to be reminded on the cross jesus died in the place of guilty sinners at the cross god's anger due to us guilty sinners god's anger was spent fully on his son Jesus, on his perfect son Jesus. We're going to remember that on the cross, God's measured and God's just anger that was rightly provoked against us because of our sin, all of it, every drop of it was poured out in full on Jesus. And Jesus, in a spectacular act of grace, willingly dies for us. He suffers the judgment that was due to us for our sin. And as we sing, we're going to remember that at the cross, God's perfect wrath and his perfect mercy collided. And instead of the eternal judgment for our sin falling on us, for all of those who put their faith in Jesus, it fell on him. And that is the best news, folks. The wrath 
that once hung over you as, as a guilty sinner, it's gone. All of it. And in its place, every morning, you have a new mercy. Every day there is new mercy for you. Because of the finished work of the cross, you are given new hearts that choose good. That even though it's hard, choose the narrow path over evil. You are given a new heart that trusts God to deal with the evil that is done to you. And you're given his Holy Spirit. Who helps you in your weakness to walk the narrow path. So I'm going to pray. The guys are going to come up. We're going to sing. And then I'm going to come and lead us through communion. Um, folks, can we stand together? I'm going to pray over us. And as we sing, let's sing this as a response to God. Reflecting on the spectacular grace of the cross that has come towards us. So, Father, we come and we, we stand as those who are broken. We stand as those who have no hope of, of dealing with our sin. We stand as those who should be stood with, with your just judgment hanging over us. But Father, we thank you that over your people now we are covered by your mercy. That the wrath due to us is gone. All of it. Father, we thank you that, that even though we were your enemies, you showed us such, such kindness and such a depth of love in sending your son to die for us and, and we want to live like him we want to live lives that reflect the, the beauty of the grace that we have received so help us Holy Spirit fill us help us to live lives that, that default to the beautiful not, not to the ugliness that we are so used to in this world help us to live lives that, that trust you trust you enough to give you our hurts to give you our pains, to give you our injustices, to trust you to repay evil perfectly. And Father, we thank you that for your people, we have such a hope in the cross. It is a finished work. We are forgiven, forgiven forever of all of our sin, past, present and future. So as we sing now, Holy Spirit, fill our hearts with joy. Fill our hearts with thankfulness as we remember the beauty of the cross, the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ who lived for us, died for us and rose again.